Torah isn't education, it's transformation. This is Chai Chinuch with Rabbi G. 101.9 Chai FM, Chai Chinuch with Rabbi G. We are back as we do every Monday between 2 to 3, and we are here for the listeners at all times. It could be holiday, it could be during the regular season, it could be t- school times, it could be we're here. Because really, it's so important that we get to talk space and see where we're at, how to become better people, because this is what we do in the show, education, how to be a better person, how to influence the world, but start with ourselves, our families, our communities. And, you know, we speak about being in the midst of holidays, and we always remind ourselves that, well, it's holidays for the kids, not necessarily holidays for parents, and we are always on duty, and we are always there to see how we can improve. Last few weeks, we were kind of speaking about what we can use the holidays for in order to educate our children and to grow and achieve more and use these times as very memorable, special, festive times and times of growth and in, in every aspect as people, as educators, as academics, etc. Today, um, we're going to have a very fascinating discussion. I'm here today in the midst of the two academic years, I, I think it's fair to say we're like right in the middle in between, and it's time to think and reflect because we cannot really move on and know how that we're getting the best for our communities, our country, our children, our families without stopping and thinking and exploring. And no one better can explore this with me today than Dr. Anita Sarasato, who is the CEO of the of the governing body foundation which works with um, many of the schools in south africa through the um ed- education and public schools and, and i think I'm, I'm i'd love to hear from dr anita herself um what their foundation does but we're definitely going to be speaking about where we are currently with our education in the country and what we can do and what developments we have you know we're past COVID, things have changed and, and many things are changing in the world, including, you know, when I was speaking to the doctor earlier, Dr. Nitha, we even spoke about social media as a factor. The role of school today in children's life, is it, is, has it changed? Are we still left with teachers? Are there standing a role of almost parenting, academics, life, um, morals, etc.? So let's go right into it. Good afternoon, Dr. Anitha Saraceto. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, good afternoon, good afternoon, Rabbi, and to the listeners and uh, all your community. Okay, so let's let's dive right into it and start knowing you. Tell tell me a bit about the foundation that you're the CEO of. Right. So the South African Schools Act um, governs everything to do with education in South Africa, both public and independent schooling, and the. Public schools all have school governing bodies. They're elected bodies of uh, parents, educators, one non-educator, the principal, and in high schools, even learners. And every school must have a functioning school governing body that takes care of school governance, um, which mainly deals with policy and compliance and has a very important role in the selection of staff, although the department still has the overriding right to decide who to appoint. But there are so many things that school governing bodies have to do. 
Um, the legal complexity in our country is quite great, and that falls on the school governing bodies. It concerns things like school safety, compliance with the Occupational Health and Safety Act, the Employment Equity Act, um, uh, children's law, many, many laws um, concerning children. And they just elected people, some being teachers, uh, the majority being parents, and they don't know all of those things. And still they're but holding a huge well. responsibility. It's a huge responsibility. And it is one of our problems in, in the countries that we don't have enough schools with functioning governing bodies. Uh, they don't belong to organizations that can help them. So, you know, we're, we're one of the organizations and there are another one or two that are pretty functional and can be of assistance. There are some others that exist but are not necessarily able to provide sufficient support all round support. So we don't have well-supported governing bodies, which okay, means so school that, functionality is a little bit problematic. Well, I want to speak about that in depth and understand a bit more about what we need for the governing bodies. Um, I know we just started, but we do have to take our first ad break. So we will take a short ad break. And when we come back, we will continue the fascinating discussion with that, with Dr. Anitha, who is from the, the CEO of the Governing Body Foundation and supporting the governing um, different governors in different schools and overlooking everything. Any questions you want to ask or want to share or want to comment or want to say, please send us an SMS. The 34519 is SMS line or Telegram. 061-895-1019, 061-895-1019, that's a telegram line. An important announcement before we go into the break is your shopping list longer and your time shorter. This Cam Delivered has you covered from healthcare essentials to baby food, beauty and toiletries. Whatever you need, This Cam Delivered has you covered. Download the easy-to-use Discam app and shop over 7,000 products in, in, at in-store prices that will be delivered to you within 60 minutes. Now you can relax while Discam delivers your essentials to you. It's that simple. Discam delivered from Discam to you. Discam pharmacists, pharmacists who care. Okay, 101.9. Hi, FM. Hi, Hi, A short ad break, and we'll be right back. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. 101.9 Hi FM, Hi Chinuch We are back in the middle of a fascinating discussion, or quite in the beginning of a fascinating discussion, with Dr. Anitha Saraceto, who is the CEO of the Governing Body Foundation. Uh, supporting the different governing bodies in the different schools. Right before the break, we were up to discussing kind of what are the challenges that we're seeing in the governing um, systems today? What is the support that is needed from an outside um, official supporter that's recognized by the government, which is what you do? So let's go into a bit more of an understanding of what's happening there. All right. So because schools have so many... Uh, compliance requirements uh, and they seem to grow uh, on a daily basis both in terms of our education law and our general South African law uh, like employment law which is labor law very complex um, for schools that employ staff but actually don't really know the laws and think they can hire and fire at will so that's the kind of stuff that we guide on we we also help with financial management because there are processes that have to be followed to the letter in order to make transactions uh, legitimate. 
procurement issues because there is a fair amount of corruption. Um, funds are transferred by the education departments into schools for use for particular ring fence purposes and they have to be procured correctly. Um, so we need to get schools um, on board with uh, doing things correctly. So we do that by weekly newsletters, a website that has all the information. We help them design their school policies. We give them templates that they adapt then to suit their own communities. So I think the important thing is that we, we support the governing bodies by helping them know what their responsibilities are and then providing documents, um, online seminars, training that we do in person, sometimes uh, webinars in recent uh, times. Uh, and that's there on the website that they can always have a look at, uh, like their roles and responsibilities, like um, the employment, what if you have a teacher who's not performing properly or a teacher who's committed misconduct, those, those kinds of things. We, we do that kind of support. Okay. Do you also support with the academic context or do you us or uh, making sure the, the safety of the children, what happens in the case of, of a, um, an assault or uh, sexual misconduct or any, yes. anything that's inappropriate? Do you have protocols for all of that to make sure yes. kids are protected? Well, well, we we and we do inform the the governing bodies of where their roles um, begin and end. So, when it comes to an act of misconduct by a member of staff, action has to be taken. If the employee is employed by the education department, it's obviously got to be referred to the labor section of the department for their action, disciplinary action. If the school is the employer, because schools are allowed to employ additional staff, the school has to follow that disciplinary process properly. Also, um, uh, educators have to adhere to a code of ethics of the, the um, council for educators and misconduct needs to be reported and followed up by that particular structure, just as a medical um, council must follow up, uh, you know, misconduct allegations, etc. So the South African Council for Educators must do it for educators. So we advise, we tell our members what the steps are. We try to get them to follow the proper process so that they don't um, get found uh, to be wanting in the um, CCMA and Labour Court. Um, yes, so, so it's covered, quite it covered a bit. just about everything. <laughs> yeah, so that's quite a bit. So uh, let me ask you like this. You've been, before you held this position as CEO, you were a principal in, in a school yes. for many years. And yes. so you've been in the education system in South Africa for quite some time. What are the shifting that you're seeing? What do you want to tell parents that were in school 20 years ago that now they are parents? No, you got to know it's completely different. You need to look out for other stuff. You need to be aware for your children for other stuff. What are the differences? Yeah, that's a very <laughs> that's a very interesting question. Um, yes, I, I, I think I taught for about 40, 40 something years. I taught and was a principal for about 25 of those. So many things have changed. Now, as you know, our South African context has changed over that time. And we have entered an age of um, democratic rights under our South African constitution. We have in South African law done away with corporal punishment. Now, 
in our country, that's one of the big issues. Never an issue in any in my life and my education experience. Never, ever. Uh, applied corporal punishment or got someone else to apply it on my behalf because I was uh, very much against it. Now it's the law, um, but a lot of people haven't been able to accept that children and teachers have the same rights um, and we cannot apply corporal punishment when we're fed up with children's conduct. So that's a very important matter. Is it still happening? Absolutely, yes. And I was at a, a safety uh, summit. It was a safety summit we had held just before, uh, just middle of December. And um, the Catholic Institute for Education has a whole program, Peaceful Schools. And they have managed to reduce corporal punishment in their schools, and their schools are, are quite diverse. They, they're not only sort of the wealthier ones in the suburbs. They, they're all over the country in rural areas as well. They've managed to reduce it substantially, but they, it's not zero. And it's, it's illegal. It's assault. But we still have it in the minds of people that you can, um, in a school context, hit children in order to get them to comply. Now, this just doesn't work. You know, I feel quite strongly about discipline um, that we in South Africa have gone about it in the wrong way. Um, we have stuck to, to, you know, violence. Violence begets violence. Violence creates negative attitudes. Violence creates dropouts. It's just negative all the way around. It's a horrible cycle. And it's a horrible cycle, and we actually have to change that. So we, we need to help schools, to help educators understand that there are alternative ways of disciplining, and they really hinge on the adult's conduct. So adult's behavior is really, really important in terms of role modeling. So Let's talk about that, and, and, and it's fascinating, I've, it almost hurts me to stop you for a moment, but we do need to take another ad break, and then when we come back, uh, let's talk about the, the adult conduct and how, what other tools we have to give teachers and support them in educating their kids. 101.9, in announcement before uh, we continue on, are you a good, are you a good teacher? Are you truly passionate about helping children learn? Are you willing to volunteer your help? We are going to be starting a homework helpline next year, and we'd love you. We'd love to hear from you. The homework helpline is not only for children in our community, but for all the children in South Africa who need academic support and help. To find out more or to be part of this world first, email info at highfm.com. Okay, very important thing. If you can help the community, uh, just email info at chayfm.com. 101.9 Chayfm, Chayfin, Yuchtarabaji, a short break, and we will be right back. Chayfm, 101.9 megahertz of life. 101.9 Chayfm, Chayfin, Yuchtarabaji, we are back in the midst time between the two school years, between the academics, and time to reflect and learn about our educational system here in South Africa. And I'm in a fascinating discussion with Dr. Anitha Sarasato, who is the CEO and the, of the Governing Body Foundation, who are supporting the governing in the different schools throughout the country. And we've been speaking just right before the break about the challenge of teachers still 
um, trying to discipline physically or things that are illegal and inappropriate. However, right before the break, Tachnonita was about to speak about uh, the methods that you have to give teachers alternatively. What are the things we can use today for education to support the system, to support the teachers, and to get better um, results in, in appropriate behavior? Right. So when it comes to, to discipline, I think our teachers, our schools, our parents, because parents also need to buy into this, because if they think of traditional discipline about when they were at school and, you know, I was hit by the teacher and here I am today and I'm fine. Well, actually, I don't believe they are fine. I think <laughs> these things still, I think these still have effects. So what's really important is that school needs to be a safe place for children. You don't learn anything unless you have physical and psychological safety. And if you are in fear of a teacher's anger, just words, or actual physical beatings, you actually aren't able to learn. It's There's a hierarchy of need. <laughs> and we talk about uh, deficiency needs, um, which could be you know basic things like shelter and food and all that sort of thing. But then it comes up a little bit more safety and self-esteem. And only when those things are all right, does the brain start working and learning starts happening. So if those lower needs are not met, learning doesn't happen. So some of these traditional ways of behaving where teachers may be, they don't, they don't beat the children but their language is inappropriate, or they have practices in their classrooms that infringe the right to dignity. Uh, they, 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 they call the children names, they label them, they put them in, you know, red group, blue group, green group, and the children, their children's performance is obvious. Or even star charts, where the one child's got a long list of stars and the other's got a, no stars. Now, the child who's got no stars is never going to be motivated to get lots of stars because the child won't catch up. So you, you have those negative things going on in classrooms that make children feel unsafe. But then where's the balance? Unable. Because we also need a... Um, I would assume that we want to encourage good performance and we want to show the child that's doing well, hey, look, you're doing well. So where do we find the balance between showing the child he's doing very well and not offending the other child who's stuck and feels unsafe? All right. So so, so one doesn't do, one doesn't, let's say, let's say in your, in your um, radio station, uh, you have the performance of all the employees and you had a star chart for the employees. I don't think that would be very motivating or very dignified. So how you compliment children is you take them aside, you have, you have com conversations with them, you show them what was good. This is important that you point out what was good and then you take the next step so this is how you would get to be uh, better to 100%. Let's say these are the steps you could take to get to 100%. The other child who's not doing so well, you would still say this is what you've managed to do well. What are the next steps? So that's in terms of academic behavior. When it comes to conduct behavior, it depends on the relationship with the teacher. So the adults in the room need to make sure that the relationship between the child and the teacher is of, of a 
positive and caring and supportive nature that will win the child to actually wish to behave. Also comes the in child here, would want to improve and be want better. To behave. Just want to, would just want to, because the context, you see, one of my big things is that the context dictates conduct. What's it like in this room? How is everyone behaving in this room? You behave like other people in the room. So if other people are polite and respectful and kind, and you choose to be the otherwise, it becomes so obvious. And then the teacher needs to deal with that because then it's what I call an upstream factor. There is some other internal reason that's making that one child not want to fit in, to belong, and to behave in the same way as those who are behaving. There, there are part. always factors. Something happened at home before the child came to school. It may be a deep-seated thing. It's what we call adverse childhood experiences. Um, it can be things like poverty, it can be breakups in family, it can be incarceration of parents, it, ca it can be any number of behind-the-scenes factors that cause a child to behave in an inappropriate way when the majority are being appropriate. So when what you're saying, so basically you're saying that for a child to misbehave in a place that feels safe emotionally and physically is out of the norm and it's not a and there's got to be an, an additional reason yes there's something there is something upstream what I, I i call it upstream you've got to go and look at the factors you you've got some really unsafe bad places gangs and um and drugs and that sort of thing in schools so you've got a much bigger problem but it's still the same thing the children that are being inappropriate in those schools also have those upstream factors so it's actually across the board across whether it's a safe school or an unsafe school you've got to go and look what are the causes behind all of this and, and that's why we talk about restorative discipline which deals with let's have conversations with children then we escalate it to to more serious things where you could have police involved even in the discussion with the children. Um, and, but, and get that. But beating, beating them is not going to solve the problem. <laughs> or, or putting them in a corner and, you know, putting them in a corner. You know, having an area of the classroom, not the naughty corner, but having an area in the classroom where a child can go to defuse <laughs> to to de-escalate you know they say the child fears I'm, I'm i'm winding myself up but voluntarily goes off and sits quietly in a corner that the that sensory safe has. settling sensory down safe, like just and calming me, down let me get out of the space because i'm going mad uh, you know some teachers are clever you know they will send a child on an errand perhaps when they can see this child just needs to go and get out and, and breathe and, and walk in the corridors. They they would give the child an errand to do, something useful, not not a punishment, get out of my class, but um, won't you take this message to Mrs. So-and-so for me? And the child feels, well, I'm actually helping the teacher, but at the same time getting a break from something that's actually... So it's Some the adults. physical you know, movement, to... and, and it's about the teachers being clever. The teachers being clever, we call it withitness. That's a term that's been used, <laughs> aware, basically aware of what's going on and, and being clever and, and responsive. But okay. it does take it does take training of teachers, and I think that's what we need more of. So let's let's continue a bit because I, I do want to get through quite a bit with you and we only have an hour unfortunately, not even that much of it left. 
When we look at, we spoke about the safe environment and the safe space between the children and the teachers. What's happening between the children, within the children, between themselves? If we talk about bullying, if we talk about unsafe yes. environments, um, isolation, um, we'll get into later on into social media as well. But just in the class structure, in the building structure, what is the governing body's responsibility? What can we do? And what do parents need to look out for to know their child is going through something in school? Yes, yes. So one of the things we do talk about, it's, it's a topic of my recent newsletters, not yet finished, but parent, parent engagement. So we try to put out there how school governing bodies should assist parents to engage with school more. Um, the bottom line is parents need to be close to their children. They've got to keep that channel of communication open. You know, how was school today? No, fine. <laughs> End of the story. The child doesn't go any further. Um, yeah. My, so it's my basically just keep your be, hand on the pulse. Yeah, keep keep talking. Keep talking and don't be shocked. Um, as soon as, as, soon as a, <laughs> a child tells a parent something and the parent, you know, freaks out, that's the last time the child's going to, to, te to tell the parent. And obviously the parent is the most important person who should hear these things. So as far as possible, parents should hear without any kind of overreaction, um, but then start talking. But how are we going to how are we going to solve this um, matter together because a child depending on the age doesn't want the parent to solve the problem for himself or herself they they, they want to do it themselves uh, with some guidance from parents and i think that's really important that parents should help children solve their own problems but if if a if that communication is stopped because the child doesn't want to upset the parent, then we've got a problem. So I think it's children talk, cease, you know, ceaselessly when they're small, but when they get older, they start to stop that conversation. And if I could just say to parents, try to keep that conversation going and let that child just bubble over every afternoon with whatever the news is without any kind of judgment to keep that open. So if something is going wrong, and it, it, could, it could very well happen and, and probably will happen. Um, for the parents to be very neutral in this, because the child will see it from the child's eyes. You know, I'm the goody, somebody else is the baddie. And the parent must be very careful not actually to, you can say, I'm listening, I'm understanding, I'm hearing um, what you're feeling and saying to me. Um, but not to take either side, that would be what would be wrong because the parent wasn't there and didn't actually see what was really going on. Right. But to start to talk about how do we actually handle any situation which is not all right. And it's important for it to be said, it's, I don't accept that behavior. Sometimes that's all that needs to be done. That a bully only gets away with bullying when there is some response and some reaction. But we need schools to make sure that they have really effective anti-bullying programs, um, 
um, cyberbullying, anti-cyberbullying programs. They need to have protocols in place, and this is what we do help. Uh, is that happening? Prepare. Meaning, can can a parent send their child to school today and be chilled and and calm about it? That you know, the school does have it. They are managing the bullying situations. Well, it it certainly does depend on schools. Um, most schools, if they belong to some support uh, group, and and the dif different independent schools have their own. Um, you know, support structures, associations. We do it for public schools mainly, but also some independents. And, and and the Jewish schools will have their support and the Catholic schools have their supports and they need they need the support of those organizations who will help create protocols. Now stick to the protocol. A child needs to know what to do if such and such a thing happens. And these things need to be public. Very simple for the younger children, a little bit more complicated and more sophisticated for older children in school. This is the protocol. But we got to be careful that much of the bullying is actually external to school. It's, it's you know, school is 14% of a child's time. So the other 86% is under the control of parents. Okay. So parents need to know what what are their what do their children have access to? If they've provided the phone, they actually need. So we'll to get have we'll get to speak about the phone and social media in a moment. Uh, there's just one thing while we're speaking that I'm really one curious about, and then we can go to the social media area. When we talk about the the shift that South Africa has gone through in discipline, out of respect instead of physically, and you know making the schools more safe, etc. Are we seeing a direct decline as well in bullying between children? Meaning, do we see any connection between how the teachers and adults respect the kids and how the kids respect each other, or it's two separate things completely? No. I think if you have a good school program and you have the adults modeling good behavior, you know, you cannot have a teacher shouting at another teacher and then expecting children not to say, well, if that's okay, then why is the teacher get cross with me when I did that to that person? Um, what, what I really would like to get across is that we need to do more direct teaching of empathy, both in the home and at school. Because people... And Can this you give us tips? How would we do that? All the parents All right. listening now are in holidays and they're not with their parents. The kids are with yes. their parents 100% of the time, not 86. What can we do yes. now? Yes. Now, this, this, this they can do. It is, it's a holiday job. <laughs> okay. Um, it's, it's, it's direct teaching of empathy. It's to talk through with children how do they think that person thinks feels and then to close what I call the empathy gap the gap between just okay I understand how that person feels but that's not my business and to close the gap by trying to extend everybody's circle of concern we are concerned about our closest family our closest people that comes fairly naturally but okay. not to everybody so we start with our our social, uh, our social, you know, circle of concern, close family, and that we start to extend our circle of concern a little bit further and wider, and parents can perhaps expose their children to circumstances of other people. Now, 
um, we 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 had a terrible disaster yesterday with this Boxburg um, explosion, right. and we 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 know that a particular organisation got out there and did what they they do. Um, and volunteers in the community have gone out to see what they could do. So that would be an opportunity for talking about in the family what is what you know what what is it like? How is it you know for the people who were involved in that? Is there anything we as a family could do? So broadening the circle of concern is is a way of teaching empathy. But you've got to talk about it first. Because children and adults are not terribly good with feelings, and we're getting worse. It's quite a lot of research saying that actually empathy is really on the decline, and that's why we have so much awful stuff happening. People doing things to to people because they just don't feel it. They're just unable to feel it. So we help children identify feelings with. But it's also because they don't. We don't connect as much directly. So it's very hard that's to feel right. the feelings through a screen or through well, that's, social media. That's, or... that's why that's why social media is even worse because people say things on social media that they wouldn't say face to face because you don't say those kinds of things face to face because I would read your facial expression and your body language, but I don't get that response right. if I just put the words out into that space. And, and the practice of it is is definitely a factor. And I'm wondering what factor COVID had as well with the masks and with the distancing and the social distancing, and especially for kids at the development, uh, at their prime develop years. So we need a. I'm sure we're seeing an it, effect. It, it, it is it is of concern, and people people who who study it have actually gone into this because there are stages of development when you do learn to interpret other people's feelings um, and for some children they were go they were that age and they didn't have the opportunity you you can't tell you know if you've got a mask in front of your face you can't tell whether the person's smiling at you or not smiling at you um, and so the baby who would respond to a smiling face, didn't get that opportunity to respond to the smiling other person, stranger. Stranger, uh, right. Because, you know, because some strangers are smiling at you, and uh, but the baby didn't know. <laughs> so, um, so it's definitely having an effect, and we're going to see it more and more. I, you know, I, I, believe, I believe so. That is why in-person school is still the best, in my opinion. You know, <laughs> okay, which is it's a big topic. Um, uh, no, but, we'll, but maybe we'll get to that. We do need to take another ad break. And when we come back, we'll talk about a bit about the Internet, social media, online schooling. If we have time, we'll see what we can do. Let's take a short ad break and we'll be right back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. 101.9 FM, by G. We are back right before the break in the middle of a fascinating discussion with Dr. Anita uh, Saraceto, who is the CEO of the Governing Body Foundation and supporting the school system, teacher um, for many years, then principal and teacher for many years, and now um, leading the Governing Body Foundation in this, many of the school systems. We were just reaching out to the virtual world. What do we need to know as parents? What do we need to know as school systems to support our kids within social media, the, the challenges, the risks, the lack of empathy, as you said, the lack of what are we losing out from not being face-to-face, -face, et cetera, and what do we need to educate and compromise for it? 
So let's go a bit into social media. All right. Well, <laughs> I've just finished reading a book. Can't remember the whole title, but basically it's about social warming. And it took some of the main social media and explained how they had been used to negative effect in many issues in different parts of the world. Quite a frightening book. So it has obviously made me think, how do we, in a school, help children of all ages learn to be more discerning in what they pick up on social media and how they use social media themselves, including the retweeting, uh, making their comments, liking, not liking, whatever the appropriate response on the different media are, um, that they have to be more discerning and understand their liability for, for what they say or do. Now, that's another scary point. Um, children are impulsive. And in fact, people are impulsive until 25, at least, and some never get past that, I believe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, you know, a quick response on social media can be something that people come to regret in later years. So there are a number of things that I do believe if parents are not doing it, the schools need to do it. And that is digital, in digital literacy. And we would start by... Um, identifying, um, you know, di different the different media and um, parents' roles in allowing or not allowing their children to use certain social media. And I'm I'm I was on a TV program with some parents, and this was a topic, and I was a bit disturbed at how some parents, you know, said I trust my child and. Um, and these were young children, they were under 10, um, they, ought not to, they ought not to be unsupervised on social media. Older children even need supervision. Um, one of the- when, people, the, when parents say that, is it because they don't know what the media is, what social media is? Yes. Be because they don't so say again, it about alcohol. I, I never saw a parent of a 10-year-old say, no, I trust my child with alcohol, drugs, driving, weapons, I'm fine with that. I've never heard that. <laughs> And social no, media, I do no. hear that. Is it because they're not aware of the dangers? I, I think so. I think so. And um, there are people who speak. Um, you can pay 90 rand or something and listen to a good talk, a good explanation for companies, for schools, for parents, um, uh, very informative and would guide parents and warn parents and frighten parents. And I, I've had uh, this particular speaker um, came to my my school where I was twice. I had her. I got everybody, including the um, gardeners of the school, everybody in to hear her speak um, because it was so important. And then I repeated it a couple of years later and I continued to update and you know, re read books on the topic because everything is changing all of the time and, and becoming much more complex and much more dangerous. And the frightening thing is the liability for both parents and for children if they are inappropriate on social media. And there are some key cases uh, where children have behaved incorrectly and have found themselves in serious legal trouble. So... We need, we need to educate. 
So parent, again, this is parents staying close to their children. So which social media are you going to allow your child to, to use? And look, I'm old. I'm, I'm, I'm what they would call a, a digital dinosaur. But I've, I've had to, I've had to. We, we've um, communicated on WhatsApp, me and you. <laughs> so you're not that. <laughs> yeah, but um, so you know, so, so we, 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 we have to, and parents have to keep up to date. And and that phone belongs to them. <laughs> that phone is not that child's phone. So it's uh, what websites they're going to allow, how much time they're going to allow, what content, etc. They yes, should be involved in all yes. of that. And not in the bedroom and not overnight. You know, I would, my first lecture to parents when they first came into the school was, you know, lock up everybody's cell phones at night. Um, everybody. So it's a family rule. We, we just don't take our cell phones. Let's invest in uh, alarm clocks yeah, back to the old days yeah. of, of alarm clocks so that we don't actually, there are children who are sleep deprived. They come to school unable to function. Because they've been engaging through the night with 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 innocent stuff um, for the most part, but letting a child alone in a bedroom overnight with a phone is an extremely dangerous thing for a parent to do. That parent needs to be able to scroll through that child's phone at a at a, at regular intervals and. Um, I don't think we're aware of the danger to that level. We do have quite a no, few. No, you know, yeah, it, 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 pornography. It, they, they say this is a. It's an accessible pornography box that every child is walking around with. Um, it's a scary thing. It's scary, and then we say we trust, and we do have to start, end uh, this show. I mean, I wish we had more time because there's so much more. When we talk about anxiety rates, we know very clearly that the connection between social media and anxiety and, yes. and the, the addiction to likes and to comments and to followers, are we seeing that inside the schools already? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, there, there's res international research and South Africa is no exception. Our children are very much affected. It's the whole self-image. Now, remember what I said, we have deficiency needs and unless those deficiency needs are met, we don't start cognitive development. So if our self-esteem is troubled because we're not getting enough likes or this person is posting these beautiful pictures and I'm not so beautiful or whatever the story is, it, it has severe psychological um, impact on, on children. Um, so again, I think this, because parents are with their children most of the time, unfortunately, not all children have enough parents. Some of them have, you know, only one parent. Some are living with, you know, grannies and, and, and so on, and, and they just don't have enough parental support. But where possible, the parents need to tell their children, your, your worth does not depend on how many of those likes or ticks or whatever else there are. Um, they have to they have to get their affirmation from real human beings that are close to them in their family which in um, today's that, time in south africa without schools it can hardly happen because kids need to we don't really run, run around the streets and we don't really go have fun and it's really in the system it's in you see that that's why the relationships in schools we, we also say the more connected a child is, the healthier and happier the child will be. So I'm connected to my friends. I'm connected to my teachers. I'm connected to my parents. I'm connected to my grandparents. I'm connected to my faith organization. 
connections are terribly important because those connections are the people that will give positive um, um, affirmation to the child and help us feel safe and of course i've got lots of support you know if this thread breaks i've still got someone else to rely on wow exactly we couldn't end on a better note. Um, I wish we had more time because, uh, as we spoke, there's a few more topics I'd love to speak about, but we're not going to manage. Uh, all I can say is thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Anita. Sir. No, that's a, ple- that's a pleasure. And, uh, all the Keep best up the everybody. good work and amazing and enjoy your break and the holiday. And we, I'm sure we'll be speaking again. So thank you so Another much. Day. Have a great Another day. Thank you. Thank you. 101.9 High by G. We are towards the end of the hour of this um, amazing show. A short ad break and we will be right back. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. 101.9 We are back almost at the end and end of today's show. And I can't resist. I have to say one thing that we need to speak about because today is a very special day. It's the day of Zois Hanukkah, the last day of Hanukkah. It's a very holy day, a day that we can achieve so much. And just one point about it of what we can achieve. We've been all... Um, all of us who have been lighting candles throughout the week and singing Moes Tzur and Yevonim Nikabitzolai, all these songs, we came across a very interesting word. There was a miracle done to the roses. And to understand a bit of that word, I think it's something very crucial on this special day. We know that um, as, a, as a nation, we are referred to roses in an Asun Purim, Shoshana Siakov. What are these roses that we're talking about? So if we look at the roses, Shoshana in Hebrew, the Shoresh of it is from change, Shinui. As a nation, we always consistently need to take every opportunity we have to change for the better, to change and do good stuff, to change and be not the same person we were yesterday. Today we are elevated, today we are achieving. And this is the special times that we did that on Hanukkah and on Purim, that we took change, we took improvements, we grew together as a community, as a nation. And just to emphasize, this is this is an educational show, so let's take this time of we're in between the school years, between the academic years, and we are now starting very shortly, in the next few weeks, back to work, back to the um, school, back to life again, Let's change. Let's change and improve. Let's take this opportunity to say, you know, this is how good I was in the last school year. This is how great I'm going to be in the next school year and always grow. And as a nation, we can never stand back and say we, we're happy with who we are, meaning we are happy with who we are, but we're not stuck with who we are. We can improve. We can change for the better. We can grow. We can achieve. And if we take that from the last day of Hanukkah, that we know that many of the um, Hasidish rabbis used to say that uh, what uh, Tzadik could do on Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, anybody could do on the last day of Hanukkah. So let's take that opportunity to grow, to achieve, to get everything we need and just be elevated for the next coming up year from this day on till the next Hanukkah. We'll just be so much better and so much improved. That's it for today. Thank you so much for being with us, uh, those of you here in Joburg and those of you who are listening. I'm getting messages from different platforms how people are listening, so it's always nice to know. So enjoy your holiday, enjoy your break, enjoy your time. And remember, it's holiday for the kids, not for the parents. We are working, we're investing, we're improving our kids, we're spending special time to create special memories for special kids. 
Enjoy your journey. Enjoy your work. And we will be back next week, Monday, 2 to 3, as we do uh, every week. In the meantime, stay safe.